My name is Melanie Wilkie, and I hate lies. I hate them because when they're present, believed, and taken as truth, they undermine confidence, rob opportunity, and seed confusion, misunderstanding, and broken relationships. Lies can even kill. Lies take where the truth brings life. But this podcast exists to fight the lies that bind to reveal truth, and to see wholeness restored to places of brokenness. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fighting Lies podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 10. Now, I have to tell you, I wasn't really sure we'd make it to episode 10. (laughs) Um, Podcasting is a joy, it's turning out, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity, but it's also quite intensive for someone like me who really doesn't know what they're doing. So um, I just want to say an extra special thank you today for those of you who are hanging in with me despite the ups and downs of my learning process, and I just continue to pray for you. Um I pray for those who haven't yet heard the podcast. I pray for those who are being impacted by um, the word of God through the podcast, even if they're not actually hearing it themselves. And um, I just want to say thank you for partnering with me in the world to love Jesus, to know the truth, and to operate in the truth in such a way that it glorifies God and brings really... um, absolute change to the world around us. I just... I stand in awe of the work of God in us and through us, and I just want to say thank you so much for jumping in with me to grow in faith in such a way that the whole world is transformed as a result. Uh, Please do not ever, um, please don't ever undersell or understate the impact that you have in the world. Uh, God is using you. He loves you. He's growing you. He's shaping you. He's forming you. He's he's with you every minute of every day, just as a testament of your importance. Um, I think about the world. You know, we have famous people. I was going to say supposedly famous people, but from the worldview, we have famous people who walk about with bodyguards, and yet their lives are still um, not completely secure because nothing in this world can really do the kind of work that God can do and in keeping us safe and making us whole in every situation of our lives. But um, how much more important are you that the Lord God Almighty is your bodyguard? The Lord is with you. His word is clear. He, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And I, I don't know if that's not a testament to your importance and the value that he holds for you. I'm not sure what would be. He loves you with an absolute and outstanding love. And his will for you is good. And his actions on your behalf are always good. And so I pray today that you'd really, really, really hear and understand and appreciate that you are truly the apple of God's eye, that he delights in you, um, that his eye is upon you, and 
His everlasting love belongs to you. Um, And as we've talked about before, the wisdom and truth that is available through him is yours um, as well. It belongs to you when it's given um, as a precious and and irreplaceable gift. So God love you. Carry on. Enjoy this episode. Uh, I pray that it blesses you. But be fearless in the world, not because of who you are or because of who's around you, not because of any worldly bodyguards you think you might have, but be fearless in this world because God is with you and he is truly for you. And just as Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And there's a reason he says that. I mean, it is the God of the universe we're talking about here. Job chapter nine puts it this way. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. I mean, if God is for us, literally who can be against us? I can't help but think of Jesus' words in John chapter 16. He says, In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. I know that we encounter hardships in this life. I know that we encounter opposition. But Jesus says, be of good cheer. In fact, he says, blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted for my name. James tells us to count it all joy, brethren, when we encounter various trials. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world, that the answer is final on our behalf. And while we may experience temporary discomfort or temporary tribulation, Um, None of that is going to stand in light of God's eternal work on our behalf. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I'm going to step down off the soapbox, but all I'm saying, guys, is that the fight that we're in today is worth it. As sheep who have committed ourselves to the Shepherd, Jesus, nothing can snatch us out of his hand. And I know we've talked about we can remove ourselves, and that's true. We can, and we need to know that. But literally nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so there's absolutely all the reason for us to continue to fight the good fight and to walk out our faith every day and to share this great gospel of God and To love people with our lives, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard, because there's no comparison. These sufferings, these hardships, there's no comparison to the glory that awaits us. And as Paul says, shall be revealed in us in that day. So I hope you know how much I love you, but I hope you know more so how much God loves you and how much purpose and value he has placed upon your life. So... Anyway, that was a freebie. That wasn't even related to our podcast today. (laughs) So the Lord bless you. I'm praying in confidence these things over your life. And I, I have absolute trust in the Lord that he is opening opportunities and carrying you through and resourcing you just as his word promises that he's going to do for your good, for his glory, and ultimately for that reward of the crown of life that he's storing up for each and every one of us who love him and and do his will. So praise God. He's good. Now, eight minutes in, let's get to the subject of our podcast episode today, right? 
Uh, Today we're fighting the lie that death is God's will. So I want to start off by saying out loud that I understand why this lie is pretty commonly heard, even among God's people. And that is because we grapple with this notion of death and loss in the world. And um, for us as believers, we lean on the Lord to redeem the experiences that we have, just as we were just talking about um, the Lord is he's in our tribulations. He, he's with us in our tribulations. He, he has compassion and mercy for us. And he, uh, ultimately is doing redeeming work inside of our tribulations. And so in some ways, I think that this statement is an attempt to give God credit for redemption, even in hardship. But Unfortunately, it's a bit of a twist on the actual truth, and it opens up the door for us to associate God with death and with the outcome of death. In some ways, it actually assigns um, it assigns blame to God for death, giving him responsibility for it. And that's really what we're tackling today. Because it is not true that death is God's will. That is a lie. And there are certainly better ways for us to acknowledge the truth of God's redemption and the power and the work of God's redemption without assigning him blame over the loss and the grief that we feel and experience in this life. So it's actually no coincidence that we are tackling this lie that death is God's will immediately after our discussion about life, Um, that life is more than just a heartbeat and an experience, that life is actually something that we experience in the physical and it's something that we experience in the spiritual. Life is both temporal and supernatural. As you might imagine, then, the same is true for death. And it's very important for us to really take a hold of the truths that we are throwing out here today, that life is both spiritual and physical, but so is death. Death is something that we tend to compartmentalize because of our humanity and our our nature to see what's in front of us and what's tangible. We often think of death as simply being a loss of physical life. And it is that, but it's not just that. And I think the same words that we discussed, the same scriptures that we discussed and many more throughout the Bible, cover to cover, um, about what it is to live and Jesus' explanations of life also can be applied to the concept of death. Certainly, when we look at John chapter 3, when Jesus is explaining that really our default, we are born into sin, and we are born having to make the decision to believe in Jesus and step into the light or to remain in the darkness, this very explanation, this very scripture helps us to understand that our default is darkness. Our default is physical life, but spiritual death. 
spiritual life is something that has to be turned on and it's done through faith in Christ in him alone. So until each and every one of us comes to a point of faith, we are living a a physical life, but we are also living a spiritual death. And God, being Lord of both the spirit and the flesh, cares about both. And he's made a way for us to live both spiritual life and physical life. We just have to choose to live both. He's not going to force us to do so. And we know that because he's given us the gift of free will that is clearly expressed in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and Genesis chapter 3 and 4 and all of the chapters of scripture following. He gave us free will and he will always honor our free will. I'm sure you probably remember me saying in one of the episodes we've gone through so far that Genesis chapters 1 through 3 are actually just a treasure trove of um, theological foundation, understanding of who God is, um, what he intends, what he is committed to, his love for humanity, his provision, his ability and willingness to provide. I mean, there's so many foundational things that we learn about God. We learn about ourselves and we learn about the relationship between him and us in these first three chapters of scripture that just are really radical and life-giving. And once again, we're going to start there because we can't not. So I'm just going to briefly walk through Genesis chapter 1. If we remember that even in this broken economy, even in this broken world that we live in, we recognize a basic uh, economic truth that um, the places and the, the endeavors to which we put our energy, time, and resources are our priorities. The things that we produce are the priorities of the human heart. We actually express our preferences. We express our priorities through our actions. And as corrupt as we are, um, that truth is actually a foundational truth that comes from the image of God himself. God is the original actor upon his priorities. He acts upon his preferences. And that's actually what we're watching take place as we read through Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We are watching God act upon his preference for life, his choice to create life, and his preference to foster life. And he even goes so far as to imbue this life with purpose and value. In our first verses of Genesis chapter 1, the Lord creates an environment of life from which he is going to provide resources and support to everything else that will come. He creates the heavens and the earth. He brings forth light and darkness. He separates the light from the darkness. He assigns the light the purpose of growth and Um, nurturing of everything else, all of the living creatures that he is getting ready to create next. The Lord fills the seas with sea creatures and fish. He covers the earth with grasses and trees and herbs of the field. 
He creates an ecosystem that is fully capable of supporting itself, and there is no provision that is left out for anything that the Lord has created. And then the Lord forms Adam out of the dust of the earth, and he breathes his own life into Adam's lungs. He gives Adam the task of stewarding and managing his great creation. But finding that Adam would consider himself alone, different than anything else that God had made, he then creates Eve as a gift and a blessing. You see, the Lord leaves nothing out. His provision is complete, and he calls all that he has made very good, and he blesses it. So I want you to look back then. Go, go ahead, read through Genesis chapters 1 through 2, and I want you to tell me if you see any sign of death on this horizon. Well, of course, the answer is no. You're not going to find it simply because death was not on God's mind when he's busy about his great work of creation. God's intention, his preference, his actions are all centered around life. God's will for humanity, God's will for this world is uncorrupted life. Now, God being God, he knows that death is an option. But what does he do in Genesis chapter 2 when he speaks to Adam and gives instructions about that tree of the knowledge of good and evil from which Adam was not to eat? I want to pause here and just throw in a reminder of something that we've talked about before. In episode 8, when we fought the lie that the Lord is unknowable, we acknowledged that God is the holder and keeper of all wisdom, knowledge, and information that this world has to offer. We also spoke of the difference between the secret things and the things that are revealed. You'll note here that death at this point is a piece of the knowledge that God has that he makes known to Adam in Genesis chapter 2. To this point, Adam has no experience with, knowledge of, or understanding about this thing called death. How could he? He's never seen it, experienced it, or known it. But out of God's great compassion and desire for life, he warns Adam of this thing, this experience to be avoided. In verse 16, when the Lord says, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, I like to liken this concept to that of parenting. Because it is genuinely true that before one becomes a parent, there's actually no way to have the notion of parenthood or the emotion or responsibility or the care of parenthood to be understood in any way, shape, or form. That's not actually something that lands upon you until you become a parent. Then um, there's no escaping the reality of what parenting is 
is and what it means. But I I think about this a lot in terms of Adam's uh, warning here from the Lord about death. Um, Because this is something that Adam has had no experience with, he cannot fathom it, right? It's, It's not something that he's seen with his eyes or heard with his ears. It's not something that he's felt the sting of. And so I have no doubt that just as someone would tell a parent-to-be, wow, your life is really going to change and you're not going to sleep much and all the different things that we share with parents who are about to become parents for the first time. Adam heard this warning. He heard this expression, but could not truly fathom or comprehend it because of his lack of experience. But I thank God that out of his great love for mankind and his great mercy and compassion, he provided the warning. And doesn't that sound so familiar? The Lord is constantly trying to share with us what we need to know to protect us from the consequences of things we've not yet experienced. And, you know, so often we don't get it and that's okay. He loves us to the other side of that as well. But the fact remains that he would have prevented the loss and he would have prevented the heartache had he been able to. The warnings of his word serve this very purpose, if we'll hear them. Now, odd as it's going to sound, I actually really love the Lord's description of what happens next. Because we see in Genesis chapter 3 that the Lord's word was not heeded that ultimately his warning was in vain, and the fruit of the tree of good and evil was actually eaten against his will. And here's why I love this description, because it's the earliest and best evidence that we have for the fact that spiritual death exists. Because I don't know about you, but I read the next few verses and it becomes clear to me that Adam and Eve did not fall down physically dead. But without doubt, just as God warned, a death had in fact occurred. And that was spiritual death. Now don't get me wrong, physical death was now added to the equation as well. We know that all too well as we experience it still today. But separation from God had become a part of the living experience of Adam and Eve and all of the generations to come. And what is that if it's not spiritual death? This, my friend, is exactly what Jesus was referring to in John chapter 3, verse 18, when he tells Nicodemus, He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Humanity's default position of spiritual death was established in the fall in Genesis chapter 3 at the rebellion against God's word and his command, not trusting him, not believing him, not taking him for his word, opened the door to spiritual and physical death that had not existed prior and was not a part of God's created plan. Is death God's will? I hope you can see clearly from just this very cursory glance at a simple few chapters of scripture that it is absolutely not. 
as a result of death not being his will, his desire for humanity, or the outcome that he would have chosen or preferred for us, we see throughout the remainder of all scripture that the Lord's cry to us is life. He wants us to live. Now, are there many accounts of both spiritual and physical death in scripture? Yes, absolutely. And if you'll continue to pray for me and hang in there with me, we'll get to that in a future episode. But truthfully, at the end of the day, each and every one of those accounts of both spiritual and physical death are for our teaching, exhortation, and admonition to avoid the outcome by following the word of the Lord. The cry of God's heart, because death is not his will, is for us to live in every area of our lives. He wants us to experience emotional life, relational life, financial life, spiritual life, physical life, In every form and fashion, God's desire for you and I and the entire world around us is that we would experience and walk in the life that he has created and that he has provided for. Now, we're going to skip over really the entire meat and potatoes of scripture at this point to just focus in on the last two chapters of God's revealed word in the Bible, and those are Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Again, we will come back around and talk about all the implications of life and death that we see throughout scripture, but for the moment, let's just fast forward a tad. Because as we talked about in our episode on value and how it cannot be diminished, The Lord did not throw up his hands, squash humanity, and just stop this experiment in its tracks when Adam and Eve defied his word and broke his law, experiencing physical and spiritual death in the garden that day. Instead, he did the opposite. He made a way for them and all of us to follow, to continue to experience life, even in the midst of a world that is now going to be tainted with the corruption of sin and death from that moment to the final redemptive work that he was going to pour out on our behalf. You see, God's commitment to life did not change that day. In fact, it was strengthened. His will for us to live and to experience life was completely unfazed and now was just going to be expressed a different way. It just occurs to me, have you ever heard the phrase, that's why we can't have nice things? Well, I just kind of picture from my own perspective, my brokenness and my humanity, I don't know that I would have had the same response to sin and disobedience right away. I think I would have been the parent that said, that's it. We tried it and failed, and that's exactly why we can't have nice things. No more nice things for you. I thank God that I am not God. You see, Revelation chapters 21 and 22 are an incredible expression that not only is it not God's will that we would experience death and loss, but in fact, he has victory over death and loss that will restore humanity to his original intent 
what he designed for them in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 in the end. And isn't this something to get so excited about? Look with me to Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1, where it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. I think you can hear that all that was lost in Genesis chapter 3 is returned and restored to us in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. I know I haven't read all of those two chapters. I recommend that you do. I recommend that you read the book of Revelation daily. I, I read a chapter out of Revelation every single day. It is a love letter. It is a promise. It is something that we can count on. The book of Revelation comes with a blessing twice. The Lord says, blessed are those who hear and read um, and do the words of this book. And so I just really want you to know that the book of Revelation, though it seems fearful, is actually a great invitation to life and is not something to be avoided, but is actually something to be truly engaged. So at the minimum, take the time to read Genesis, I'm sorry, Revelation chapters 21 and 22. They will bless you. God has the greatest things in store. His commitment to life his commitment to spiritual life, to oneness with him, is complete. Um, Revelation 21 verse 3 says, He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God shall be with them and he shall be their God. Remember that spiritual death that Adam and Eve experienced in Genesis 3 when they lost that closeness of relationship, that walking in the garden with God. Well, that's restored in Revelation 21. The final kingdom says, I am to be with you. I'm never going to leave you. And in fact, at the end of my redemptive work in fullness, um, you and I are going to be together forever. I will be with you. You will be with me. And of course, he deals with the sting of death in this physical life. Because though we experience a physical death once, and that is the reality. It is appointed to men once to die, says the word of God. We will experience a physical restoration as well. Now, we don't have time to go into all of the implications and, and scriptures related to that today, but I do want to share with you uh, the Apostle John's perspective in 1 John chapter 3. He says, Behold what manner of love that the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And as a result of that great love, he says in verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. 
the Apostle Paul does an excellent job in the Corinthians of helping us to understand the mortal body giving way to the immortal. But really, at the end of the day today, we need to know that life is God's will, not death. And as we throw our faith and our trust in him, he will have it in our lives. So we certainly don't want to be propagating the lie that God's will is death. Death is a product of corruption, and corruption is not from the Lord. And so there are spiritually known foundations of truth that we can apply to this statement instead. One of these days, I'm going to have the time to do some bonus episodes about the nature and character of God. One of the things that we need to know about him is that he knows everything. Haven't we already discussed that to some extent? Of course we have. But if we remember that God knows all, that he is all-knowing, it helps us to process the things that we experience in this life. King David says in Psalm 139, verse 16, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. As we're bedside, dealing with the loss of a loved one, it's certainly not God's will that they are dying. But it is true that he knows the number of their days. He's fully aware of the call on their lives to be transformed from mortal to immortal, from corruptible to incorruptible. He knows that he has the power to fulfill the promise that what he has begun in them, he will complete. And what is his will? That they be transformed from death to life. Guys, I have to tell you, I absolutely love Moses' call to decision-making in Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture, although of course you know they're all my favorite. But in verse 15, Moses cries out to the children of Israel and says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. He says, But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land when you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. And then he says in verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, Choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to them. You see, Moses is pointing at the children of Israel, the people of God from which we are grafted in, to choose life in him. He is clearly saying here that if you utilize that free will 
to follow the word and the commandments of the Lord, you will experience life, not just physical, but eternal. And the cry of God's heart is what comes out of Moses' mouth that day, to choose life. Be with me. Experience my rest and my provision. Experience my hope and my life for you. Remember, we talked last week about Jesus saying, I have come to give life and that more abundant. Jesus says, I want you to have life in the physical, but I want you to have life in the spirit. I want you to have a connection with God that is real, life-giving, is holy and reverent, full of joy, peace, and victory over the things of the world. Because I'm here to tell you guys that the world will only ever bring confusion, corruption, loss, and death. And God would never choose that for you. He would never choose that for your loved ones. God's will is life, not ever death. So I thank God that he knows the length of my days. I thank God that he is the sustainer of my physical life, but more so that he is the giver of my spiritual and eternal life. I thank him that that is the case for you as well. And I want to give him credit for that out loud. Remember in episode five, when we tackled the lie that Death, loss, and pain in the world proves that God is not good. We came to the point where we had to acknowledge that we continue on accident or on purpose, whatever the case may be, to give God credit for the enemy's work and that we need to stop doing that. This is a prime example and an excellent opportunity for us to do that very thing. That instead of declaring that it's God's will that a person might die, that we declare instead that it's really the enemy of our soul's will that we might experience physical death. And as a matter of fact, the enemy of our soul desires for us to experience spiritual death as well. He fights at every turn against us placing our faith and hope back in Jesus back in God for the life that God desires for us to have. Why? Because he's a thief and a robber, and his only desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. So when we see physical death in the world, let's give the enemy the credit that he's due. But let's give God the praise that he's due in redeeming the loss of a physical life with an actual literal transformation of the corrupted physical body and raising it to the incorruptible so that we can rejoice in his great salvation in every area of our lives. So let's go through the pros and cons. If we choose to continue to believe and speak that death is God's will, a few different things happen. First of all, we place the blame on the wrong source. And we reproach the name of God by associating him with a will to choose death for humanity. We undermine trust in him. We undermine the notion that he is good, that he's always good, and that he always desires our good. 
we remove the option from ourselves and from others to see God as he actually is. And truthfully, that's a really big deal because it undermines trust and undercuts hope. Because if God is not willing to deal in life, what help could we possibly have? While the world, Satan, the enemy of our soul, loves to dish out this kind of hopelessness, that is not God's heart. And I think we all know that the results of this can be catastrophic. Frankly, that's exactly why I hate this lie so much. God loves you. He loves everyone you love. And he wants everyone to know that he is with them, that he's on their side, that he's rooting for them, and that he has good and life in store if they want it. Surely we can be part of expressing and disseminating the truth of God's love for all. Surely we wouldn't choose to continue in the lie that death is God's will. So let's consider what happens when we decide to kick the lie that death is God's will to the curb and put it behind us for good. I think it's safe to say that the first and most important impact of rejecting this lie and thus disassociating the name of God from death is that the holy fear that we are called to have of him becomes rightly placed. Remember episode three of the Fighting Lies podcast where we talked about the lie that the Lord is just waiting on the edge of his seat, waiting for the opportunity to strike us down and punish. Well, there's no doubt in my mind that rejecting this lie, that death is God's will, further reinforces the truth and the reality that rather than being a God who is vengeful and gleeful at the opportunity to punish, instead, he is our greatest advocate. We get to see him as he actually is, and our vision and our view and our faith is no longer clouded by doubts that perhaps he's not actually for us after all. Rejecting this lie leads us to a place where we begin to really trust that all of God's supernatural power and resources are brought to bear in our favor. He is in fact our best advocate. He's our supernatural help in every season of life. And not even the experience of physical death can stop him from being just that. I believe this is what the Apostle Paul is referencing in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 35, when he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His commitment to preserving physical and ultimately supernatural spiritual life is unstoppable. And there's one more excellent word that I want to share with you before we wrap up this piece of our discussion today. And that is 
that while death is not a part of God's original creation and thereby of his will for humanity, it is and has been an instrument in his hand by which he accomplishes life eternal and sets you and I free from fear. A simple hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that because of our sin, every man is condemned to die, but that Jesus paid the penalty. He died the death from which each and every one of us could be resurrected to spiritual life forever. One of these days we'll talk about the gospel in such stunning and simple detail. It'll be great. But for now, just know that in addition to paying the penalty for our sins on the cross through a physical death, Jesus also accomplished for us a freedom from the fear of death. As we learn in Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14, where it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, that would be Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Death is not God's will, but it is a reality that we face thanks to the fall all those ages ago. But literally thanks be to God that his power over death is so rich, so full, so complete that he can turn the tables by finishing the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross to accomplish our great salvation and eternal life. And as Jesus said in John chapter 10, to give us life and that more abundant on this earth. How? By giving us freedom from the bondage of the fear of death. Because out of freedom comes comfort, gladness, and a will to exercise all of the giftings and purposes that have been established in our lives beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, as he says in Ephesians 2.10, I'm not worried about death anymore, so I can put all of my focus and energy to living. And guys, if that's not the best news we've heard all day, I'm just not sure what is. And now let's talk about the second impact which is the side effect of the kind of confidence and trust that we begin to have in God as a result of his own commitment towards us. And that is that the increase in trust creates an increase in obedience to his word, which in turn creates an increase in the blessing and fruitfulness of our lives, just as we talked about in our last episode. Kingdom life becomes so fruitful and abundant and is on greater and greater display in the lives that we lead. Guys, I can't tell you how excited I get about this, because it always reminds me of Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. You know, the Lord's Prayer, in which the Lord prays, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now think of it this way. The more we as individuals trust the Lord, the more we obey him. The more we obey him, the more kingdom fruitfulness we bear in our lives. And what is that? That, my dear friend, is an answer to the prayer that Jesus prays in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Because the Lord's kingdom does come. His will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. 
more and more every day through my individual life or your individual life. And ultimately, as you and I both begin to see kingdom fruitfulness increase in abundance on the earth, then corporately, we begin to see his kingdom come more and more on the earth as it is in heaven. We can literally live into the fulfillment of the prayer of Jesus to bring the kingdom to earth. How cool is that? I think you can tell by now that I'm a big advocate of living a life that fulfills the good word of God. I literally cannot think of a better way to spend my time here on earth, and I hope you can't either. And so finally, let's look at one last impact. Not to say, that is, that there aren't plenty more, but the one last impact that we're going to look at today, and that is that we can't help, as we're living out this kingdom goodness, to begin to declare the good news of what God has done in us and for us to others, which means that either in tongue or deed or just by the view of our lives, the gospel is shared through us in the world. We become beacons of hope in a dark place. We magnify the name and the work of the Lord. I was sent a great encouragement this week by uh, the most precious sister, and I so appreciated it that I want to share it with you too. It's Paul quoting a verse from Isaiah chapter 52 in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, and it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. It is a literal rejoicing to be a part of the declaration of the peace and joy and life that the Lord will bring into the life of every single one who accepts him. There's literally nothing like it. So today, I challenge and encourage you to take your place Step into the fruitfulness of bringing the kingdom to earth, just as you were called to do. And how, you might ask? Well, the truth is, I think you've already been doing so. Every time we take a lie, look at it critically, compare it to God's word, and ultimately reject it, we begin more and more to walk in his word, to trust him more, and to become fruitful in kingdom things. So it's just this, keep on keeping on. Continue rejecting lies and adopting God's truth. Today, the call is to reject the lie that death is God's will and to begin speaking and crying out and declaring the truth that in fact, only life is ever God's will. It's only ever been and it only ever will be. Now go on, get out there, and take this message to the world. Please don't forget to like, share, and rate this podcast if it's been helpful to you. And join me next week as we debunk the lie that the God of the Old Testament is only wrathful and unforgiving. Are you believing something about God that you're not quite sure is true? If so, reach out and email me at fightingliespodcast at gmail.com. Let's explore the truth and find your freedom together. This podcast is written and produced by me, Melanie Wilkie. 
with original music from Mimic the Mind and Blue Marigold.